Hey, this is Garfield Wilson. Uh, you will catch me on the new series, The Astronauts from Nickelodeon, Friday the 13th, this November. Check it out, it's gonna be great. And you're listening to The Man Cave with Elias. Welcome to another episode of The Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, I did it, I did it. A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more from deep inside the man cave. Your host, Elias. Garfield, welcome to the cave. Thanks for having me. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, very well. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and uh, um, I just got off a set yesterday uh, for a new project that I'm working on. So things are things are moving along quite nicely. How the whole quarantine life treat you before uh, you went back on set? You know that was that was like nothing else I've ever experienced. Honestly speaking, I mean it was. Uh, it was it was scary. It was it was destabilizing. Um, just the first month, like I I wrapped on um, on a series uh, March sixteenth, and we had just done four episodes. Um, it's a, a Nickelodeon show called The Astronauts, and it's in partnership with Imagine Entertainment. And uh, we everything was starting to really bubble over as far as. Um, the anxiety uh, around the world about about COVID, which we didn't really know that much about, and we already put into to affect protocols to safeguard crew and staff and cast um, on set. And because of the closed set that we had, I mean, everything is on a sound stage. Um, we weren't traveling to different locations. It was all pretty self-contained. But we wrapped, I think, on the. Um, like the weekend of the 17th and everyone was like, uh, maybe see you Monday. <laughs> yeah. And then by Tuesday, the 17th or 16th, like before the weekend was out, everything was like system shut down. And then we were put on furlough and then no word as to how this was going to play out because, um, you know, the, the, the director, uh, some of the crew members and uh, the cast, um, the kids that play our kids, uh, went back to LA and Chicago and New York and then it was just wait and see and everything was shut it was almost like it was it wasn't even almost like it was very apocalyptic like that weekend I went to the grocery store and it was like it was like being out of an episode of The Walking Dead it was just yeah it was really weird yeah and now it's getting back to the same thing again it feels like yeah I mean it's um it's uh, it's it's definitely disconcerting. I mean, there was warning signs uh, in the summer as far as you know um, coming into the fall and flu season. But I also think that once the the economy opened up um, in stages, you know, yeah. and uh, people people were locked down, and it was the summer. I think June was when re things really started to open up as far as restaurants, um, and they were implementing social distancing. Masks weren't really super mandatory but you know there's some establishments that were like mass at all times right. but um as soon as and i think here's 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 what i think is that when the economy opened up and people were like caged animals and they were able to enjoy social interaction and just be out and not in their house 
especially those that live by themselves, but even, you know, for myself, I've got my kids and uh, just being able to do stuff that you took for granted for such a, such a long time to be able to experience those things again, going to Starbucks, going to a restaurant, going to the beach and all those different things of shopping. Um, people just kind of went crazy, I think a little bit, uh, especially up in here in Canada. Um, and not necessarily crazy, but just went out and once they dipped their toe in the pool of like being out in, in the land of the living and then enjoying those things uh, with social distancing and protocols, that was okay. And then here's my point is that those, those, that demographic that was not directly affected by COVID, whereas they didn't have somebody um, within their social bubble that had COVID yeah. or they didn't have somebody that was in pre, that had pre-existing condition and was at high risk. It, it was almost like hearing about a plane going down across the country and you hear that people had died and you're like, that just really sucks. But you're not, you don't internalize that. You know, it's not gonna happen to you. I think that was the, the sentiment. That's what I felt. And, um, and people started to act like there wasn't a global pandemic going on. They were having yeah. parties. They were having get togethers on beaches. It weren't really social distancing. And, uh, and then we see the spikes happening. Yeah, I agree with you, I agree with you. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully uh, it'll start settling down again, but I'm worried with the whole winter and everything coming that it's just going to stay up. And then hopefully, I don't know, maybe we'll have a vaccine in the spring. Who knows? Who knows? I think that, you know, the scary thing about, you know, going into the fall and the winter is that people aren't going to be uh, outside just kind of roaming around. They're going to be forced to right. be inside. And in those close quarters, everybody breathing and all those types of things. I mean, it's just, and to that end, if you get if you get a cold or you get the sniffles or you get bronchitis or whatever, you're more susceptible uh, in that respect, or your right. defenses are down. So it's um it's really um yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I know. So yeah, man. So I was doing some research on you. Man, the listeners have seen you on multiple projects like Snowpiercer coming up soon, uh, Arrow, The Man in the High Castle, Almost Human. You got a new show coming out. You have a fitness company, man. You're a busy person. <laughs> yes. you, and, and you have kids like me. How do you do all this? That is, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, I didn't plan on being, you know, having two careers at the same time. Um, I did plan on having children. Um, I, I saw um, online the other day uh, where somebody was, you know, complaining or asking, how do you guys juggle everything? And one very smart person said, well, you're spinning plates on the stick. Remember that where you're spinning? Oh, plates? yeah. Yeah. And some of those plates are like, you know, glass plates, but some of the plates are styrofoam and it doesn't necessarily matter <laughs> if those drop. So you have to prioritize which plates are not going to right. drop and which plates, if they do drop, that's okay. And I think that's that's how I, I go through my day, you know, kids come first um, and then putting food on the table. And then, uh, and then the projects that I'm on, I mean, I really, I really pride myself on being present with whatever I'm doing. And the company that I, that I own, that's a fitness company, personal training company. I've been doing that for 15 years. Um, and I'm, I have the luxury of having clients on my roster that have been with me for 10 years plus. 
at the very least. And, uh, and they are, it, it's not about for them uh, having a personal best in the gym or lifting as much as they can or running as fast as they can. They're not looking to be gym fit. Um, what we've established is that their health and wellness is about life and just feeling good in their body. So my philosophy and my, uh, with them and with ever who, who works for me as a trainer is that clients coming into the gym, um, it's not about what we feel is a great workout that day or what we've got on the clipboard. It's actually what is a great workout for that client on that given day so that when they leave the gym after an hour, they're feeling way better than they, when they walked in and they're ready for the day. So when, when I was a young trainer, uh, clients would come in and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna give you the best workout you ever had. And I would kick their asses, but they were done for the day, you know what I mean? So they had to go to work or they had kids or whatever. Like it just made, it just didn't set them up for a successful day. So I really adjusted my philosophy on personal training uh, after the first three to five years. And that's helped with my longevity. And then to that end, you know, it just becomes part of their lifestyle. And if I see clients twice a week at the most, sometimes three times a week, the rest of the time they're on their own. So it really has to support their lifestyle and what they're doing in their day. And then I've been with them for such a long time that they get really excited you know, that they can say, you know, my trainer is on this show or my trainer is doing this. It's, you know, and they're very, very supportive. And I've got, you know, uh, a trainer or two at any given time that's working with me that covers that shift. And it's, uh, it makes it easy. It's not easy, but yeah. it, it can be done. Now, did you start this business before you got into the acting world? Mm. Or was this while you were doing this? Well, I, I was, um, when I came to Vancouver, I came to Vancouver from Edmonton. And I wanted to be a recording artist and I was singing and dancing and I just finished uh, playing Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar uh, in Edmonton. And then I had this band and we were super popular. Um, we we're sort of like the Lenny Kravitz of Edmonton doing like covers, 70s rock and roll and then we we're writing our own stuff. And then I came to Vancouver with some of those members in hopes of like creating that same that same vibe in Vancouver, being so close to Seattle. And it just didn't work out. <laughs> and then uh, and then I um, and then I was uh, one of the managers at HMV uh, uh, record store. And uh, and one of my friends that I knew in Vancouver said, you know, there's a lot of American productions that come up to Vancouver to film, like, you know, uh, Stargate um x-files you know all these different shows at the time that i was here in the early 2000s and they said you know in those there's a you know you could get work you could get work as an extra so i went into an agency and i said hey uh, a friend of mine said that i might be able to get work i've done this and this and this and he said well we think you could do very well and we don't want you to be in background so they put me in a couple of acting classes and then i um and then for whatever reason a casting director really liked me and within a year, I had full membership. Um, wow. And I was doing, I was doing, um, you know, act, just small actor roles, like uh, a line here, a line there. I call it my free sucker <laughs> point in my career where I wasn't, you know, it was just, you know, um, soldier number two or paramedic number one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or thug number two, that kind of it was, thing. It, it was a job. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it really helped. It really helped, uh, you know, uh, supplement my income when I was, you know, manager at a, at a, at a record store. And then at the time, uh, my wife and I, uh, we just recently divorced, but my wife and I were looking to have kids. And after our first and second kid, the acting thing was just not working out very well. It was just so fleeting. And I needed to, I needed to um, find something that had way more earning power and then had more consistency. So I said goodbye to acting because I wasn't really, you know, doing that well. And, um, and she said, you know, you're always in the gym working out. Why don't you become a personal trainer? Cause she was doing graphic design work for uh, a, a local uh, fitness facility that uh, is a, was personal training and spinning and all that sort of thing. And she was at the front desk redesigning, she's graphic designer, redesigning their websites and whatever. And then she saw how much personal trainers make in an hour. And at the time that she told me this, I was like, it was one of those moments where I, was, I, was, I said to myself, why the hell didn't I think of this myself? <laughs> like, why was that, you know, not in my peripheral vision at all? And so I, I just, a light bulb went off and I, and I, and I went back to school, got it, got my certification and then got mentored by uh, a two buddies of mine. Um, and one of them became my mentor. And consequently, after that, we became like one of the bestest of friends. Um, and he was looking to go into medicine. So he was a kinesiologist and you can segue into medicine going into actually being a doctor or physio or whatever have you, massage therapy. And he wanted to go to medical school. And the timing was just amazing. So I got the best education from him because this guy was a kinesiologist. He knew his stuff. And he was not only teaching me about being practical in the gym and having these philosophies and life lessons in terms of like aligning yourself with that again with your philosophy on fitness. Um, but it, it just it just gave me invaluable life lessons and and the best possible school to be a good personal trainer. And I and my career took off within three years. And he he left me his company. I renamed it for Fitness Incorporated. And then that was it. So that happened. And then in 2000, and I think it was 13, no, 2010, I, you know, uh, clients that were coming into the facility for personal training, one of them, I had a big personality, and one of them said, you know, we're doing a series for CBC that's sort of like Canada's The Biggest Loser. We think that you guys, you'd be really great for the show. I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. I was really not really into being on camera anymore. I was really into like building my company. And he said, you know, I think this is a great opportunity. Just put together a demo thing and they're looking across Canada. So I'm like, okay, you know, they're looking across Canada. They're, they're, I'm not going to get it. I ended up getting it <laughs> and uh, did that with a buddy of mine. So he was a good cop. I was a bad cop. And we did this docu-series called Village on a Diet. Uh, we went up to the small town in, in northern British Columbia and chronicled, you know, this town getting fit. And there was so many colorful characters. We were colorful characters. And uh, it was a hit, but it only lasted one season. But the, the funny thing about that is, is that two years prior to that, I was training a couple of actors and they were telling me, you know, you should train my agent, Natasha Trisco. 
um, who is the owner of Trisco Talent Management here in Vancouver. And so I ended up training her um, through friends of mine that were actors that were on her roster for two years. And super sweet lady, just amazing, incredibly fit and intense, like one of the best you know, female clients I've ever had. But she got super busy with her, with her company, her agency, and couldn't train with me anymore. And then started having kids and all that sort of thing. And then at the time that I landed the docuseries Village on a Diet, the contract that they offered me, I thought wasn't that great. So I asked her if she could do me a favor and, uh, and look at the contract. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll represent you. So just send me anything that you have that you've done in film and television. And, you know, and my buddy sent her his resume, which had no television or film things on it. And I sent her my resume and she said, wait a second, you're an actor. And I go, no, no, I'm, I'm a personal trainer and I'm just doing this. And she said, no, well, how about I send you out for auditions? And I said, yeah, no, I've got two kids. Really, they got babies and we got this house. Now I don't need to go back to playing, you know, soldier number two. <laughs> All yeah, this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just, I was making good money and my, my business is really growing in personal training. And so um, that went on for like about a year or two where she was asking me if I could, you know, submit for this audition. And I would always say no, okay? Then we get to like 2012 and um, she sends me this pilot audition and I had a break between like, I think 12, if I can remember correctly, 12 and three o'clock in the afternoon. I've been training since 6 a.m. and I had a break. And during my break, I, go into my car, I flip up my iPad, watch Netflix and eat and maybe take a nap and go back into the gym, right? So I have this audition at, I think, 1.30, between 12 and three of my break. And I'm like, you know what? What's, what's the worst that can happen? So, and I go into this audition. And one of the things I, I, I remember not liking about going to the audition is not actually being in the room uh, doing the audition, but actually being in the waiting area with, with the actors. It just becomes too much of a scene for me, right? Um, in, in some respects, you know, there's some guys that are just amazing, but there's always one or two that, you know, talk too much and it's really distracting. So I never really liked that aspect of it. So I go to this audition in my sweats, because <laughs> I'm at the gym, um, in a t-shirt, um, playing like, you know, uh, armor, an Under Armour t-shirt, you know, that's black or whatever. And it was supposed to be this Android. And so I memorize the lines. I go in like half an hour before and there's about two and a half pages of lines. And so I memorize the lines and then I go up without a resume headshot. And then I'm in the room and all the guys have their sides out and they're memorizing, and they're doing these, these, these voices for this Android. And, uh, and they're talking to each other and I, pretend that I'm taking a nap, right? Because I just don't want to engage. I literally fall asleep, dude. <laughs> it's my nap time, right? <laughs> so the casting director comes out in the middle and I wake up and she goes, okay guys, um, just to let you know that we don't want any references in your mannerisms to data from Star Trek or any kind of Android. We just want you to speak as a humanoid. So these androids are like humans. And the guys go, oh, and then I go, 
that's great because I didn't prepare anything like that. <laughs> so I go into the room and before when I was doing paramedic number one or soldier number two, I would go into the room and try to be what I think they're looking for. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And in this one, I was just really concerned about going back and being on time for my next client because auditions can be anywhere from like a half an hour to two hours long, depending on how behind there are or whatever's going on in the room. Right. So when I go in, I really don't have, it's been like, I don't know how many years since I've done an audition. So I go in and I go, so what's this, what's the situation here? Am I inside or outside? She goes, "Um, inside. How many people are in the room? Uh, You know, like just you and the detective. Okay. Am I sitting down? Am I standing up? You can be sitting down if you want. Okay, cool. So I do the audition and she goes, you know what, Garfield, that was really nice. Can you do that again? And I said, sure. So I do it again. And then I leave. And by the time I'm done with my clients at, uh, and this is on a Thursday, by the time I'm done with my clients at like four o'clock, um, I get an email from Natasha saying, they like what you did. They want to see you again tomorrow at one o'clock. Okay. And I'm looking at my client and I think I'm thinking it's a callback. I'm looking at my roster for Friday and I'm busy. Like I got clients from like, you know, 8 a.m. until like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I email her back and say, sorry, I can't do that. But if they still want to see me, uh, I'm free Monday at like one until four. You know what I mean? It's a short day for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I'm thinking there's no way she's going (laughs) to email me back and say that uh, they're going to see me again because, you know, at the time, and I never, I never told you this part, the Wednesday before that audition on Thursday, I go back home to my then wife and I say, look, we, I got this audition tomorrow. What do you think? And she's like, you know what? That's, that's not a good idea. We, we talked about this and it's, you know, we're, our lives have financial obligations and blah, blah. We don't need you to be going back into playing paramedic number two, number one. I'm like, you know, you're right. You're right. And so we decided, I decided, like we decided together as a family, as a couple that I wouldn't go in and do this, right? So the, the motivation for me to go to a callback was very, very slim because I'd already told my wife I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> I've already done this audition, right? So um, Monday comes around. I didn't hear back from Natasha. Monday comes around. I'm training my clients and she emails me and she says, okay, they will see you today at 1.30 at the Vancouver Film Studios. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm driving down uh, to this, what I think is a callback. And this, this story will let you know how far off I was and how, how long it's been since I've gone to anything in film and television at this time. I go down to the film studios and, I'm, and as I'm driving down, I call Natasha and I say, hey, I don't have a resume or a headshot. Like I'm not, do I need more lines? What's going on? She says, just go down to the Vancouver Film Studios. So I go down there and there's one, what, one white guy there, two twins that are black, that, that are white guys, and then an Asian dude and me. And I'm like, this is the weirdest callback. We're like the Benetton ad for like whatever this is supposed to be. And then they take us into one room, all like was the one, two, three, four, five of us. And then three dudes come out and they look at us and go, okay, okay. 
okay, let's, let's go in and see what the contacts look at on them. I'm like, this is the weirdest callback I've ever been to. So they fit me with contact lenses. Then they ask me for my sizes. I'm like, cool, all right. And then, they, then I'm leaving thinking that was a weird callback. They said, see, this is Monday. They said, see Wednesday. I'm like, Wednesday? What, what's happening Wednesday? You're, you're on set on Wednesday. <laughs> you would think I'd be like, oh my God, I got the part, that's awesome. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> my wife is gonna kill me because <laughs> she didn't even know anything. The weekend went by and I didn't tell her anything about this because I didn't think this was gonna happen. So I go home that night and, and I have like, my career is building up as a personal trainer. Like I'm training like 30 to 40 hours a week, right? So I go back on set, I go home that night and she is not happy. Like she doesn't, I don't even know what the scope is of this role. I tell her I, I can't do what I did before, which is not go to set. I'm going to set. We get into a bit of an argument. It was, I was in the doghouse, honestly. And I deservedly so because I'd lied. I'd said that I wasn't gonna do it and I did it. Long story short, longer story short, I ended up doing like 12 days on Almost Human, the pilot episode, and then missed a bunch of clients, had to get coverage for them. It was a real chaotic time. And then when I got the, um, when I got the paycheck, cause I didn't even know what my rate was. It was like something like $12,000 for the 12 days. It was like, it was some exorbitant amount of money. And I brought the check home to my wife and she goes, okay, that's okay. <laughs> she felt better. <laughs> so much better. By July, it got picked up for like 13 or 14 episodes. And that reg Caesar series regular role, um ended up buying our house that we with, that we lived in and raised our kids in and um just changed the trajectory of my career so yeah. after that i was going out for guest starring roles and supporting lead roles and i had no skills whatsoever really like i had, i think raw talent obviously but i didn't know the anatomy of an audition room i started getting like nervous again going into audition rooms. So then I Googled acting classes in Vancouver and I found Deb Podowski online that she was doing an on-camera class. And the on-camera class was basically just an audition, how to audition. And so for three months I did that class because I was getting invited to, into rooms for like really big roles because JJ Abrams name was on my resume now. And I had a pretty substantial resume anyway, but it was more, actor principal roles, not lead roles. But now I had a series regular role on a J.J. Abrams Fox series. Yeah. And I was, I was not doing well in the audition room um, after that series. I just didn't have enough, um, enough experience. So Deb Podowski, three months into her class, I decoded the audition room for myself. And then I segued into her scene study class. And after six years, she literally changed you know, what acting means for me as far as a craft and who I want to be as an actor. And then, you know, here I am today. Yeah. That story is amazing. Just the way everything happened for you. Oh, it was, it's, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride and it's been, you know, it hasn't been, you know, that I, that I went from almost human and all of a sudden I started booking all these really great roles. It was up and down and I really tried to balance my work-life balance as best as I possibly could. And I wasn't always successful. You know what I mean? Cause you can get, yeah. 
you can get heady with it. Like if you're on audition for this and this role or you book this role and you think it's gonna change the game for you, but it's really just another gig. You know what I mean? And you're just sort of building. It's really small incremental steps to the point where, you know, for whatever reason, all the stars align, people view you as a force of nature. You're just really in an opportunity to do really good work on a really good project surrounded by really good people. What I've learned is that you can have a really good script, you can have a really good direction. I was listening to like actors on actors on a round table with like Don Cheadle and Tom Hanks and a bunch of other really, really great actors. And one of them said, you know, for you can be involved in a movie, you never really know when you're making a movie or a television show how it's going to be. For it to be really good, everything has to go right. But for it to be bad, just one thing has to go wrong. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right, I, I totally get that. I totally mm. get that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. So now you have a new show, uh, The Astronauts, that's premiering Nickelodeon. Uh, and how did you get involved with that project? Um, that was, I think it was around this time last year in like November. And um, like everything else, I got the breakdown from Natasha and um, it was a character named Niles Taylor and he was, he was a computer engineer. And I prepared for the role and I went in and uh, because I'm a dad, it just felt, I just felt connected to it, you know, yeah. with kids getting lost in space and two of them being my kids and working and they just, it just trying to find the truth in the character and in the story. And, uh, and it worked out really well. The audition process uh, with the casting director was really great. I had a, I have a great relationship with the casting director. And then for my callback, uh, it was with, uh, it was with the director and the executive producer and, uh, and that was really, really a, a really good audition in terms of like the conversation that we had in the room. And so I came in and I had, you know, just, you know, what I thought would be a good idea for a computer engineer. I had a button up shirt, dress shirt, a tie, and like just some slacks and loafers. And I wore my glasses uh, just cause, you know, it'd be a good look. And so I went, I went in there, he, he said, you know what, Garfield, let's just, let's just make you look like you've been working all day. You've got these two kids, you're a widower, you work like 40 to 60 hours a week. You love your kids, but you really are just a slave to your office space at this sort of NASA station. And so let's undo your tie, let's undo the top button, let's roll up your sleeves. And then when you come in in the first scene, like just like have that feeling like you've been working 10 hours already and you've, and you've got another three to go. And so I did that and, uh, and that was it. And I left and I just, you know, sort of like said goodbye to that, that audition. I always kind of view auditions as a conversation. So it's not going in there and doing this audition. I sort of go in and, and try to understand what the conversation in, is in the text and the lines. And if I have a good conversation, I feel good. Like this right here, feels like a good conversation. So I'll leave this interview not feeling like I had an interview, but feeling like I had a good conversation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I left feeling like I had a good conversation. So I go downstairs and I go to the washroom and I use the washroom and I'm changing my, changing my tie out and putting my t-shirt on. And I come back out and one of the assistants goes, oh my God, you're here. She's on her phone. Uh, you need to go back upstairs. Uh, they want to see you again. And so I put my tie back on and I said, 
they want you to really feel like you're in the character, like you create a character for yourself. And so I was trying to wrap my head around that because uh, the director was still in there. And I waited for about 20 minutes before I went back in. And what it was, they wanted me to do it again. But what Dean did, the director did, was create more of the visual and the atmosphere. He painted a really clear picture of where I was. Because sometimes, well, all the time, when you go into an audition, you have the text, you have the, as much information as you can possibly get from the breakdown, but you're really creating it for yourself, visualizing for yourself what this world is, and then you know, doing your best to land yourself in the truth of that and be authentic in the, in the room, not knowing what the set is going to look like, what your props are gonna be or whatever. And what Dean did is he said, okay, your computer monitors are here, and then above you is this big screen where you're looking at your kids and then around you, think NASA, and then the person that you're talking to is right over here and they're your boss, they're like the control tower thing, go. And I was like, and when you say this line, this could be the last time you see your kid. They're getting shot up into space. So when you say that line, actually feel like you're gonna lose your kids. And I'm like, wow. okay. And so that made it like a million times more real for me. And then uh, I did it and then the rest is history. I, I you know, I'm, I'm involved with some of the best actors I've ever worked with. Um, and the set that, you know, Nickelodeon and Imagine Entertainment have, have created for this world that they've created for us is unbelievable. And the kids that are playing our kids are ridiculous. They're literally ridiculous. So, um, and here's another thing. We stopped, like I was telling you, after four episodes, and COVID had a shutdown and we were, we didn't know if we were going to come back to set this year. Some of us were wondering like, if we don't come back till next year's spring, like these kids are going to grow up, maybe their voices are going to change, what's going to happen? And so we had this text messaging for the group of adult actors that were the parents and, 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 and leads for the series. And through that, we actually became really close and not even connecting as far as the show was concerned, but just connecting on how everybody was doing during the shutdown, you know? Yeah. And then we went back to camera in August when we got the green light and we were back together again. Man, the chemistry between us was, I think that the show is better because we had that time to really build our relationships and our connections. So when we had these heavy emotional moments, um, they were as real as they could possibly be because we we actually really cared about each other and and uh, and brought that to those roles, which was really quite a gift. Well, yeah, you you connected with the phone calls and the texting, and you just felt more comfortable with each other when you went back on set. Oh yeah, chemistry was through the roof. It was awesome. Um, when is the where was the show filmed? It was filmed uh, in Vancouver. Okay, wow. They built a soundstage just uh, just outside of Vancouver and Burnaby and uh, and it was a large complex and they had all these different sort of pods where they created the spaceship and they created the, the sort of NASA station and um, yeah, it was all filmed there. There was a couple of scenes, I think, just, you know, outdoors just because they had some outdoor scenes or whatever, but uh, the majority of it was on a soundstage and they just created this unbelievable, unbelievable set. like. So like they literally built 
the building inside. Wow. It was crazy, crazy. Uh, yeah. How many how many episodes did you film for for the first season? Ten. Ten. Right. So yeah. when uh, when does it premiere? It premieres November thirteenth, like in a, like a couple of weeks, Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. How excited how how excited are you for the premiere, dude? I am I am incredibly excited. Like I'm in, I'm. This is the first time I'm expressing this because I'm mostly chill. I'm like I'm, I'm you know, whenever a project comes out, I'm like I'm 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 usually with my friends and my family. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Want to see how this plays out, but. I've done some ADR and I've looked at this. They, this is very cinematic. Um, being a part of this show at this level um, and being, you know, in the mix as far as being a character that's integral to the to the, the storyline um, is truly a gift in, at this point in my career. And uh, and just just the amount of passion and talent that went into every aspect of the show is is beyond what I've been involved in before. Like I'm, I'm so, so incredibly excited about this. I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have like a, a release party at my house, That's popcorn, awesome. candies. It's gonna be, it's gonna be. Uh, I might have a couple for, of drinks. You know, for what I was reading online, this is like a, a big thing for Nickelodeon for like a drama series, right? Absolutely, and that was one of the things that was really exciting for us when we did our first table read back in February of last of this year, is that. Nickelodeon is is looking to to venture off into more dramatic fare and actually create shows that an entire family can sit down and watch in the same in the same wave like Pixar and Disney yeah. where you have you know kids that are going through um, I I I I I are kind of back to like you know watching those those really great Spielberg movies like E.T. or The Goonies or whatever where you can sit down with your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and everybody is entertained. Everybody's on the edge of their seats and there's humor, there's drama, there's emotion, there's all those, there's action. And this series I think has all of that. That's awesome. And now you have a, another part coming up in uh, Snowpiercer, right? Yeah, yeah, that was- um, In January, right? In January, that uh, I think, you know, I was in the first couple of episodes of the, the first season uh, playing one of the jackboot uh, soldiers and um, I, I was delighted to get a call to come back uh, for a few episodes in the second season when things really change um, in the dynamics of, of on the train. And uh, it was, it, that set is ridiculous. Like the, the detail on that soundstage and uh, all the moving parts, because it's, a, it's a, quite an ensemble. It's, it's, every time I was on set on that show, there are a lot of people on set and just to coordinate that and to to make it flow and make it you know harmonious and then really land uh your scenes at, at the at the at the time that you need to is is uh is a testament to the talent that's on that set you know on that show like i, I really enjoyed my time there it was really really great everybody was was amazing so what's next for you any other projects that you can tell us about that you've worked on or yeah i've got some um Early this year, I, uh, I did a guest starring role on uh, Virgin River. And so they're releasing their second season, um, November 17th. And that comes out on Netflix. Um, and um, I'm excited about that. That was a, that's a couple episodes. And that was, that's, a really, that's a really good dramatic series. And it's, and it's really, really popular. And, and I know a few of the actors that, uh, 
that are series regulars on that. And they're just great, great people, great actors. And, uh, and I watched the first season just because I was going to be on the second season with my, with my girlfriend. And uh, yeah, we were locked in. <laughs> and then I'm working on a project right now that is, um, that is, uh, is unlike anything I've ever worked on before. And I can't really say that much about it other than it, uh, the two lead actors are, um, are Keenan Michael Key of uh, Keenan Peele. Uh, Cecily Strong from SNL, and it's executive produced by Lauren Michaels. And uh, Barry Sonnenfeld is the director. Uh, and Cinco Paul is uh, the producer and uh, is one of the writers as well. And this show is gonna be, is gonna be crazy. It's, it's, it's totally off the charts. Like I'm, the amount of, the amount of uh, detail in this show, I, 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 I'm reluctant to tell you anything about it other than the fact that it's, on, it's gonna be on Apple TV and uh, keep an eye out for this one. It, it's, um, I think it's gonna be released sometime in um, early January or in late January, early February. But uh, the two actors that are involved in this project are uh, Keenan Michael Key and uh, Cecily Strong, they're the two leads. Um, awesome. it's, 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 it's awesome. I, I just, I, I, I wrapped the first episode yesterday, the two days yesterday. Um, and I was just blown away by the talent on this on this on this cast. It's it's and it's a huge cast. It's an ensemble piece, and there's, there's huge names involved in this. So, see, that's the one thing about all stream platforms, man. There's always going to be jobs for you. <laughs> there's always all these all these shows, all this content's it's, coming out. It's such a crazy and wonderful evolution. Of, who who would have thought this? No, I you know when Netflix came out, I thought that was just going to be the only one. But now you have. You have um, you have uh, Apple TV. You have Amazon Prime, and these these streaming services have endless resources. Like Amazon Prime, like when I did Man in the High Castle, that was just like it was like a playground, and that world that they created was it came onto itself. Like that set was yeah. ridiculous. They made their wardrobe, like Man in High Castle. It was the first time that I was ever been on set where wardrobe wasn't going out and buying clothes. They were literally making the clothes in-house. Wow. Yeah, ridiculous talent uh, in the wardrobe department of, of Man in the High Class and Castle. Like, like phenomenal and, and award-winning as well, and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. oh and I, I almost forgot. I don't know why, why I forgot this. But last year I did a pilot uh, for a best-selling novel uh, called One of Us is Lying. And, uh, and that got picked up for eight episodes on the new NBC ser uh, streaming service called Peacock. And that begins, uh, I think, probably the spring of next year. And that, uh, that show is going to be, I believe, really, really big because it's already got a huge following uh, because the, bo the book has been so popular for, on the New York bestsellers list for, for months and months and months. And that, that storyline uh, is about this really uh, well well off neighborhood in this high school, where these six kids from all different backgrounds. Is there's the the athlete, and I I play the father of um, of uh, one of the lead characters, who is a, who is a phenomenal athlete that's there to like impress the scouts and go on to be um, a professional athlete. Then there's the 
the the popular girl, the outcast. So all of these, it's almost like the breakfast club. And for whatever reason, on the first day of school, these six kids get put into detention on really suspicious, weird circumstances. So they're all in detention. And some of them have never been in detention before. Just It's just really weird. Six go in, five come out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything unfolds. Everything. So, so one of us is lying is a very appropriate title for this, for this story. And uh, the script that I read was, was incredible. The cast is ridiculous. Like, I hate using this word a lot, but honestly, the cast is ridiculous. Super talented young, young actors that, uh, that are going to become household names once this show drops. Wow, that's great. And so, yeah, like I said, man, you've been busy. Uh, for the listeners, uh, how can they find you on social media? Oh, on social media, you can find me on uh, Twitter, at Garfield Wilson, and on Instagram, Garfield A. Wilson. Garfield, this was fun. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.